With great data comes even greater access latency. Welcome to the Presto Community Broadcast, where we transform your latency woes into fast insights. I'm your co-host, Brian Olson. <laughs> and I'm that other co-host, Manfred Moser. Presto Community Broadcast is a show where we cover your events and happenings within the open source Presto community and show off a little bit of cool stuff about Presto. So uh, this week we have uh, uh, David Stryker with us from Starburst, uh, our home uh, company. So thank you very much for joining us, David. Great to be here. So um, we're going to be talking to him a little bit later, uh, covering first uh, Manfred's going to cover a little bit of uh, concepts with uh, ACID and some of the support that we have around that with the Hive connector. And uh, then David's going to go into a little more details in one of the uh, most more recent uh, pull requests that he added um, to, uh, to basically allow for uh, inserts and deletes. And then we're going to talk a little bit about some of the other work that's going in uh, around there as well. Um, so first, we're going to you know, go over the release 345 uh, that came out since last episode. Um, we're going to cover a little bit about uh, some trainings coming up, uh, a couple highlights that came out from the newsletter, uh, events that are coming up our way. Um, and then uh, at that point, uh, we'll, we'll hit the concept of the week with Manfred uh, talking about ACID, hit the PR of the week with David. And then I will be covering question of the week, which we'll be talking about uh, one that we missed the last two weeks because of my silly OBS goof. <laughs> I feel like I have at least one goof per week, uh, and that's all I'm allowed. So, uh, that's right. so it's always good to be a bit goofy, right? <laughs> yeah, that's the point. <laughs> to not take it too seriously. So yeah, I'm going to recover the question of the week that got cut off the last time, uh, which is going to be talking about kind of like why we have Java 11, uh, why we made that move, and and kind of uh, what to do if you're stuck in a Java 8 world in your company or, or wherever you are uh, setting up for whatever reason and kind of some workarounds and uh, thoughts about that. So, And then we're going to wrap it up. So uh, before we hop into any of that, let's uh, run to a quick word from our sponsors, which is, happens to be Starburst. I'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsors, Starburst, for hosting this show. Starburst is an enterprise offering that builds upon open source Presto distribution. The main vectors you improve upon when moving to Starburst are performance, support, and simplicity to deploy. The performance gains come from an enterprise suite of Presto connectors that improve upon the open source connectors by offering parallel implementations and improved statistics exposed to the cost space optimizer. There are also connectors that don't exist in the open source projects, such as the Snowflake connector and Delta Lake connector, and many other that prove useful in many enterprise applications. My favorite thing that Starburst offers is how they take away the pain of deployment, security, and scaling your Presto cluster up by offering Kubernetes deployments on multiple cloud platforms. This relieves a lot of pressure from your ops team and offers them a slick user interface called Mission Control that makes the management of your cross-platform clusters easy. Finally, they have a team of experts that are available to address any issues you experience. This team includes the original founders of Presto, a dedicated customer success team, and even Manfred and myself. We clearly think the product is great, but don't take our word for it. Try Presto for free. Head on over to starburstdata.com to learn more. And now back to the show. All right. Uh, Manfred, do you want to go over the release notes for 345? Yeah, sure. 345 was an exciting release. Um, it felt like it's a small one because it kind of followed up pretty quickly after 344, but it has some really significant things in it that um, you'd be uh, amazed to find. Um, one of them came from David who uh, added insert and delete uh, for acid tables. Um, and we'll talk about that in a whole lot more detail later. Um, the other one that's really amazing is the uh, whole slew of performance improvements that you see in the general list up there. There's a whole bunch for different data types and stuff yet again. So we see the whole effort around uh, dynamic filtering, push down, uh, bucket pruning and that kind of stuff. There's always more stuff. And here's also some changes related to just treating simple things like just making low level uh, performance improvements, but just for specific data types, for example, the decimal type. So there's a lot of ha things happening. In the security thing, security changes, um, we added column security, column mask and row filter support for our file-based access control, which is pretty handy to have to test this kind of stuff out. Um, obviously, if you wanna go into more full-blown usage, you would want to use something like 
uh, ranger, but this gives you a good idea of how to test it out and um, uh, play around with it. So definitely a cool feature. And then something that snuck in and, and like looks kind of a small entry line in the Hive connector, but it's actually a big deal is uh, LinkedIn was working very hard on adding support for complex Hive views. So actual Hive views, not just like, you know, um, mm. Hive tables exposed, uh, but actually the Hive QL kind of usage. And that um, was implemented by integrating a system called Coral. That's an open source sort of abstraction layer slash translation layer from HiveQL to SQL. Uh, and uh, LinkedIn was a couple of engineers from LinkedIn were working very hard with our team on the Presto SQL side to get that integrated. And this is the first release this shipped. Obviously, it's not finished. There's always more stuff to be done and you can expect things to come up around that in the 346 release as well again. But this is a pretty significant step considering that from the start, uh, Presto was designed to not uh, support these kind of hive things. Um, and now via a very clean translation layer, we actually can say we do support hive views. And for a lot of customers and users that have a significant hive deployment, um, that's a big step, right? Like they have just a lot of legacy hive views and this feature now can potentially unlock that and make uh, the case for migrating to Presto even stronger because now you don't have to worry about this massive uh, migration effort and you can slowly, like you can adopt Presto, get the benefits of reading from the Hive data much faster and still use that legacy that is exposed via that all those developed Hive views. So it's, it's a massive step and um, I think it's it's going to have some really good impact and LinkedIn is obviously contributing heavily on it and obviously they're using it, right? So yeah, uh, can't be that bad. <laughs> for sure. I'm wondering, so did we have any support for high views before this? Do we, do we know or either you not, or not, not native views. Like, I mean, if something is exposed as a table, yeah, like in Hive, then, then it shows up just as a normal table, but an actual dynamic HiveQL view was not working. Okay, because this says, I mean, the way it's described in the in the release notes is saying improved translation. So I was wondering if we ever had it because I've heard yeah. a couple people complaining about that before. It was very rudimentary, so. Okay, got it. This, this pulled in this coral framework, which is very powerful and good. So there. it's it's a whole bit different ball game. Very cool. Well, I want to learn more about that. So maybe that'll be the next PR of the week. <laughs> yeah, and then there's a lot of, a lot of kind of connector changes, as you can see again a uh, bunch of performance improvements and stuff all over the place. So it's nice. good. Yeah, definitely. We have like at least one for like almost every connector each time it sneaks on through. Oh, uh, you're underestimating the number of connectors you have. That's true. You go to our connectors <laughs> page, there's a whole lot more. They're huge, yeah. Like I felt like for the longest time we were constantly seeing iceberg changes and then now we're, we're tapering off and seeing like some of the older oh, that's, ones that's come because back up. Dave, that's because David finished and made the iceberg connector so awesome and <laughs> ended up documenting it that now he can concentrate on the insert and delete and hive acid stuff right nice. david oh shucks <laughs> <laughs> all right well uh manfred i i feel like you're going to be on the the majority of the beginning of this of this of uh, this podcast so uh why well, don't we you go over your out quickly your yeah why don't we talk about your presto first steps uh, class that's going to be coming up i'm actually in the way of the date but uh let me scroll up here that's it's, okay it's in, in, in the 16th i'm all shivering about it because i'm still working on a slide deck for it um so this is a follow-up training course to the presto the definitive guide that i wrote with martin and matt for o'reilly hmm. um this is now a follow-up training course which basically allows you in an interactive session three-hour training class to basically get your hands down and dirty with Presto in a very easy example way. Um, I'll just cover what is Presto, how to get it started easily, how to bit of an introduction to what catalogs are and that kind of stuff, uh, how to configure those things, how to get Presto up and running, how to connect with the CLI and play around with the SQL a bit basically. So very easy uh, little training course with some Katakoda examples. So losing an online learning platform and um, it comes on the heels of the book, just about to reach around the corner of 5,000 downloads. So nice. the book is still available from starburstdata.com for free. And this builds on top of that. Awesome. And that's pretty much it. So should be good. Yeah. yeah. So, and one thing to mention, like this is definitely a beginner course, right? 
Yes. Yeah. So you said simple, but, you know, depending on the level you're at, it could be a, a little more difficult for, for those coming in. So this is like if you've never done much with like data warehousing or or you especially you've never done anything with Presto, this is a good uh, course to get your feet wet. Yeah, exactly. If you don't want to like read a book and, and like play around for hours on your own, but you want to have some sort of guidance and easy click the button demos, and, and, and have some quick successes, that's the way to go. Cool. So yeah, once again, that's November 16th, and this is in 2020, uh, depending on when you're listening to this. Uh, and exactly. that's going to be 1 uh, p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So uh, that's going to be pretty cool. Looking forward and, to that, and, Manfred. And, and a quick tip, if you uh, get a trial license for the like online learning from O'Reilly, you can attend that sort of as part of the trial. Oh, cool. Yeah. So it's like, it kind of... For, so I know at one point somebody said it was for free, but then like, so it's kind of free, but it's like if you're doing a trial, but if, exactly. or if you're already paying for O'Reilly, then, you know, you just get that lumped into the, to the, uh, what you're paying for there. That's right. Cool. All right. Uh, so two things from the newsletter, uh, that came out, uh, one is a blog that I wrote, uh, very shortly after the last show, uh, that, or I wrote it way before the show, but, uh, finally got published right after the show. Uh, this is just a, uh, another kind of like, if you are totally new to, uh, Presto or you've like kind of dabbled with Presto and haven't used the Hive Connector before, I, I wrote a blog, uh, basically talking about, uh, Hive Connector, a lot of newer people to Presto or, uh, that, uh, are jumping in and trying to figure out what's what, uh, typically get really confused when they see the Hive Connector. Uh, a lot of times you're coming in from, you know, and this is a, a topic uh, question that we uh, answered a couple uh, week or a couple shows ago, uh, basically just quickly answering this, but this is a more full blog version of, of the answer to this question. It basically says like, you know, people are typically trying to get away from some sort of old Hive infrastructure, outdated Hive infrastructure, and they want to kind of replace that old clanky Hive runtime with Presto runtime. And then they get into Presto and they're like, well, why the heck is there a Hive connector? Is this just going to sit on top of Hive? Uh, and so basically that's not the case. And, and this uh, goes into why we call it the Hive connector, uh, what it's actually doing, and, uh, and gives a little bit of a, a nice uh, explanation as to you know, some historic references to why we, we call, that, uh, call it Hive connector instead of calling it, you know, uh, cloud connector, you know, you, you can connect us to different cloud storages, you can connect us to all sorts of different uh, things, including, you know, have, letting it sit on top of HDFS. But really what, uh, well, I won't spoil the surprise, but it's basically just built on a, uh, you know, a Hive's data organization method. And so anyways, read through the blog if you're wanting to learn more about that. Uh, it's, it's up on the prestosql.io blog, and we will be adding that in the show notes. Um, and also there is a, uh, speaking of Katakota is the stuff that, uh, what was also going to be shown in, in Manfred's course. Uh, this one also has a little Katakota demo just to, uh, get people a little integrated with, uh, with, you know, what, uh, uh, Presto looks like. And it's just like a very basic, like run one query, uh, show, show the metadata and all that kind of stuff. So it's, it's pretty straightforward. Um, so, but a lot of fun, of course. Uh, and then uh, the other one I was going to show is a, a, an O'Reilly blog, actually, kind of going around some of the uh, another kind of intro. So we're, we're all this content that we're talking about today is all intro content. Uh, we will be linking this in the show notes. So if you are like brand new to Presto, we have uh, like a whole bunch of new uh, blogs and and different um, uh, resources for you to, to check out. Um, so this basically just talks about like really motivates the, the whole purpose for like, why are we using Presto SQL and, uh, or why are we using Presto at all? And so, um, anyways, so this will go into a bit of a, uh, detail on, in terms of like what Presto offers to you and kind of the wide, why to Presto, if you're just like not understanding it at all. So, uh, so definitely check that out. Uh, that will be listed in the show notes and also kind of references you to the other materials like the book and, um, and other pieces. And then, um, have a couple events, uh, November 12th, we have, uh, Tom Nats. He's, uh, uh, talking about, uh, getting rid of a lot of the high cost, uh, data warehouse costs, uh, in the cloud. And so, uh, that's going to be a webinar, um, at 10 AM Pacific time, uh, 1 PM Eastern time, uh, on November 12th. And then, uh, after that we have the, uh, Databricks session, 
which now that I'm looking at it there, I'm not sure exactly the time, but it's, it's the data plus AI summit in Europe that Databricks hosts. And I don't remember the exact dates of those, but we will have the link down in the show notes and you can register for that. Uh, Camille, oh God, I don't remember how to say his name. Camille Bada Pawlikowski. Is that even, I probably just totally botched that. But uh, he, he works at Starburst. Uh, he is the C, one of the CTOs here at Starburst. He will be talking about uh, Presto as well, uh, talking about the, uh, some of the more interesting connectors that have been added to Presto in more recent years. So definitely check that out, if you, especially if you're already going to Data AI Summit in Europe. Um, then uh, we're still going through the Tech Talk Summits. Um, next one coming up is going to be in uh, Detroit. So uh, definitely check that out. Those are These ones are all free to register for. You just got to uh, hop on, register, and then uh, check out the talks that are be- being given there. Uh, one of them being from uh, one of our uh, solutions architects. And then finally, uh, this one is a uh, Presto to- uh, conference in Tokyo. Um, unfortunately, this will be mostly in Japanese. So uh, this is limited to people who can speak Japanese. There are going to be two talks that are in English. One is Martin Traverso, uh, one of the co-creators, and the other one is my talk. Uh, so uh, those are going to be two 10-minute two, talks in the very beginning, and then the rest are all going to be in Japanese. So uh, I, I was asking if there was going to be any kind of networking afterwards or any kind of reason for English speakers to go. And the the organizers mostly said, no, it's, it's going to be pretty fruitless unless you speak Japanese. So uh, fortunately, that will be kind of exclusive to to those of you who do speak Japanese. But it is definitely a cool, cool uh, conference. Uh, last 2019, all three of the co-creators, uh, Martin, Dane, and David, uh, went out there and uh, and spoke there as well as, uh, you know, there were a, lot, a little more mix of, you know, Japanese and English talks. So, you know, there's a lot more uh, resources there. But due to kind of COVID constraints and just like limitations on how they can uh, organize this. Uh, it's mostly going to be in Japanese this year. So maybe next year, but uh, definitely something to check out uh, if you can speak Japanese. <laughs> also keep in mind, um, the cool thing is that there is a significant press to user community in Japan, including some contributors. For sure. So who are running the event. So it's cool, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, yeah, definitely. There's a Yuya. Yuya is a big contributor. He He's from Line. Um, oh, I'm trying, there's a couple names that are escaping me, but they, they are... Um, uh, and where were they? A couple that work in AWS. I know there's like a, a one or two, and then Arm Treasure. That's the other company that's really big out in Japan. Uh, Arm Treasure Data. So uh, definitely uh, going to be fun. I'm I'm looking forward to speaking there uh, at whatever time in the morning that's going to be for me. <laughs> so, um, anyways, but yeah, definitely looking forward to it. Uh, one last thing I wanted to announce. Uh, don't have really anything to show for it, but will be all the same to anybody on the podcast. Uh, so there were some trainings a while back that we finished up with uh, Dane, uh, David, and Martine uh, that had, well, they were two-hour videos and four videos. So basically eight hours of, of videos that you can watch through that, that bring you through uh, topics such as like Advanced SQL, which was David's talk, uh, Understanding and Tuning uh, Presto Query, which was uh, kind of Martine's talk about the cost-based optimizer and, and different ways that you can understand it, uh, Securing Presto, which was uh, Dane's first talk, and the second, third, fourth one was uh, configuring and tuning performance, which was also Dane. Um, these are all super valuable talks, but one problem with them was there was a lot of information and two hours worth of it, and so it's kind of hard to find what you wanted to. So we took some extra effort. There was a lot of demand on on uh, kind of uh, time indexing these, so we finally got those time indexes out. Uh, the links to those are also going to be in the show notes. Check those out. Uh, those have time indexes on specific topics that you may be interested in, so that way it's kind of like chapters in a book. You can just go right to whatever you're truly interested in. Um, still the Presto Summit series is, is available on the blogs as well. So check those out and, uh, we'll also be linking you to a recent set of podcasts that, that came out, uh, if you haven't checked those out yet. So with all of that, I think that's pretty much the news. Uh, Manfred, are you ready to talk about acid today? Depends on what kind of acid we're talking about. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I feel like I'm, in the I'm States, talk, we need a I'm little bit of acid. I'm going to a pretty technical <laughs> one. Okay, so yes, I am ready. So let's roll into that. Cool. So um, this is in relation to what we're going to talk about later, and that's the incident delete update for acid tables. So we want to sort of frame this up a bit to understand what we even talk about. So acid stands 
for atomicity, consistency, isolation, and durability in a database uh, and interactions with a database. It's a very long-standing, well-known concept. Back in the day when we had only relational databases, this was like a decent database just has acid. Like if it doesn't have acid, it's a no-go. And it's like just some, you know, the, some like a toy database, right? Like MySQL or something like that. That was the notion back then, right? So, um, so very important that you basically, with atomicity, that means that uh, a transaction in a database, like some sort of change, adding a record or whatever, or a bunch of records either fully fails or fully succeeds. Ideally, obviously fully succeeds, right? There's no sort of inconsistent state um, which is related to the consistency itself. A database is always consistent. So whatever rules you define it with like relationships between records and so on, uh, it is consistent. So for example, say for example, you need to delete a customer from a database. Um, then if you delete that customer, their address also gets deleted because there's referential integrity set up so that it is a clean operation. So a database is also always consistent about it. Another example would be, say you're doing a transaction where you move money from one account to another. The money is either in the one account and or in the other and not sort of in between somewhere or in both at some time or that kind of stuff. So as it is a very important uh, concept for the database world, of course, um, what then happened is that databases got bigger and bigger and bigger and servers tried to keep up, but ultimately failed. Um, and we ended up with uh, what we now all know as big data or distributed data stores and so on. And what we found or what some researchers, very clever dudes found is the CAP theorem, which basically uh, CAP stands for consistency, availability and partition tolerance. Um, and the CAP theorem says, if you have one of those distributed data sources, you can only have two out of the three. So you can't have a system that's always completely partition tolerant, so has all the data everywhere, is completely 100% available and is consistent. You can't have that. Uh, it's great if you could, but it's just like physically and stuff not possible uh, just because of network uh, delays and stuff like that, right? So uh, what typically then was chosen is that people ended up moving to a status that's like called eventual consistency where uh, the overall concept is sometimes also just called base instead of uh, ACID, which stands for basically available soft state and eventual consistency. Uh, consider that uh, idea sort of like, uh, say you update your status on like some network, uh, like Twitter or so, it doesn't really matter if your timeline is up to date to the second for someone that checks on the other end of the world, right? Like it eventually they will get the same status, but if that's delayed a second or two, it doesn't matter. So that was kind of the common approach uh, in the database world when it went and migrated, everything went to like Hadoop, Hive, big data and all that kind of stuff. Um, now, of course, with uh, the big data also getting wildly, wildly used, we also ended up adopting it for systems where it does matter if it's consistent or not. So eventual consistency with terms of money is obviously not good enough, right? Like you can't have money sort of disappear and hopefully eventually appear again. That's not good enough. So now what happened is that tools such as a Hive slash Hadoop slash the file systems like Org ended up adopting um, asset approaches Originally, it was no asset support overall. Then they ended up doing something where on a partition level, it was asset provided you used some locking and it sort of approved over time. So now we're in a situation where uh, with Hive and HDFS, we do have asset support, but you have to understand how that works from a system because um, HDFS is a write once file system. So if you write a record, and you do an update or a change or whatever, you're writing another record. If the system like Presto doesn't have uh, support for, for reading these files, it just sees two records and doesn't know what the difference is and which to show. And actually the way ACID is implemented is also has Delta files, which then means there's even more stuff showing up. So a reading org ASIC tables or looking at them with the Hive connector with doesn't understand what it's looking at is just showing basically rubbish data to mm -hmm. some degree. Um, and that would also impact the, the read operation. So um, luckily that was long changed, changed long ago for reading. Um, 
and further improvements now were necessary to also support inserting and deleting data because now you have to take care of all these delta files and all the other lower level details. Uh, we'll have lots of more uh, links uh, to, to those concepts and stuff yeah. online in our show notes. Uh, but this hopefully gives you a bit of a background to what um, Brian is going to be showing us with these asset supports for Hive systems. And uh, David is going to talk about what he added this feature of inserting and deleting. I have one comment to make on that too. As you were talking about it, it kind of reminded me like there's some parallels to the whole story of like how when we when the move happened to big data, right? So we we realized like these systems weren't scaling and we moved to big data and we just dropped, like we said, okay, there's trade-offs, like we're dropping this re the requirement, this requirement. So in one of those requirements, uh, along with the, the ACID uh, type of transactional uh, uh, requirement was also uh, speed. And so if you think about it, like Presto kind of fits also into that, that same mold of like, you yeah. know, getting back to the interactive, like, like, cause I mean, remember databases of old were like, you know, always about like finding that, that perfect B, B tree index and trying yeah. to optimize on that and make sure that it comes back, you know, cause you have somebody waiting on the other side. So the Presto is almost like a per, that's a perfect parallel story of like something that we just said, yeah, it doesn't matter. It's big data ETL. That's what, that's how it is, you know? and and go go start your query and then go grab a coffee and maybe even grab lunch as well <laughs> and so <laughs> yeah that's true it's a good analogy it's, it's you know like david or myself these are like old, old old hat developers would say everything repeats it just comes again right <laughs> yeah, <you're> right <laughs> same same shit different uh decade or something like that <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> uh, okay cool so uh so yeah so i just i just wanted to point that out because as you were mentioning it, i was like it kind of sounds like a similar story I've, I've recently thought thought through before and i was like that's the whole kind of premise to presto um yeah. cool so uh let's hop now into the is that that's all you wanted to say in terms of uh, acid manfred i don't want to cut I you off i think so um i didn't invite David to correct me because I probably messed <laughs> yeah. up five things. <laughs> I didn't mess up anything. I'll look forward to talking after Brian shows the example. Yeah, sure. So, well, first let's, before we hop into the example, I, I'd like to actually just kind of, I, I mean, go over uh, conceptually what we're doing and then we'll go like show the cool example afterwards so that way, because I feel like the example is kind of uh, without the context is, is not as interesting until you understand like why it's so cool. So this is uh, your uh, pull request. And so uh, this is pull request 5402 for those listening on the podcast. Uh, do you want to just tell us about like why, uh, what, the kind of circumstances surrounding this uh, makes this such an interesting uh, thing to be working on and kind of uh, how we, what we're enabling here with, with Hive? Sure, that, I'd, I'd be happy to. So I had a lot of fun in August and September uh, working on this PR that adds uh, support for transactional insert and delete. Now, before, before I did any work here, uh, Hive non-transactional non tables supported insert, but we didn't have any capability to do delete from Presto. Uh, this, uh, this PR adds support for transactional, both insert and delete. Mm -hmm. As Manfred said, uh, tables are transactional in, in the sense that if two different clients try to update the same data, only one will win and the, and the changes made by the other one will be rolled back. Uh, and so the modification happens in a transaction um, uh, and, and, and will either the entire modification will happen or none of it will happen from the point of view of any client. Hmm. Uh, as, as I think Manfred mentioned, or maybe Brian, uh, the Hive uh, transactional insert and delete uses the the ORC ACID file format. That's a specific file format uh, produced by the ORC project. And in ORC ACID, each atomic change, the result of running a an insert or a delete or someday soon an update is assigned a transaction ID. And the names of the data files created uh, contain that transaction ID and the records do as well. And the management of uh, the, the, the way that rollback is implemented uh, in Hive, Hive Acid 
uh, is that the Metastore knows which transaction IDs are in effect, are, are to be seen by other clients. Mm. And it's only the commit operation uh, on the transaction that causes your change to be visible to other clients. Okay. So that's the, that's the general uh, approach to it. The, um, and the, and the, the changes for this PR are concentrated really in three areas. One is the support for the ORC ACID row format, which encodes the transaction ID and for delete records and insert records, the, the row ID and the bucket for each record that's created uh, as a result of uh, an insert or delete transaction. Mm -hmm. A second area of, of work here, and maybe even the largest one, was in, uh, ensuring that the Hive connector used all the, all the capabilities that have to be used of the Hive Metastore API mm -hmm. in order to ensure transaction consistency. So like and edge cases that maybe aren't like for the typical case, like is that what you're talking about there? Well, they, they're, the, the, these transactions are happening on, you know, these transactions that can conflict can happen on different nodes, obviously, right? Mm -hmm. Different, uh, the, the conflict can come up in, in, in different places. And you have to be sure that you eliminate, if your transaction failed, you have to be sure that you eliminate all the, uh, all the changes that, uh, that uh, were, were created for that transaction. Okay. Some of the file changes, others of them are meta store changes. You have to roll back both the file state and, and the meta store state hmm. because uh, Hive Acid works by, doesn't delete anything, it just, it just, in order to uh, implement a deletion, it adds a delete delta file that says, uh, ignore these rows when you're reading, essentially. Um, David, I have a question. Does, is uh, any of this documented yet? Has, has Hive gone through and documented any of it? There's a great document, which I can send you to put in the notes, about how Hive Acid works. Okay. So of course, it, it was supported by Hive itself before we supported it in our connector. Although we use the Metastore capability, we obviously don't use the data reading and writing that provided by Hive. Yeah, because I'm How wondering... does that work with regards to the Metastore, right? Like um, in the Hive connector, we support multiple Hive Metastores, like the, the Hive Metastore and then AWS Glue. Is the Hive Metastore API enough defined that you could just work with that API or did you have to sort of like write various workarounds for different Metastores? To, to be truthful, I haven't tested it with Glue. I believe it works, but I haven't tested it. I don't know whether there's anything that will come up. Oh, okay. There. Yeah, because I know that Hive has a, this kind of longstanding issue of the only thing documenting how Hive works is the code itself, right? And yeah, most Hive is kind of a mess that way, yeah. Yeah. So, but but you're saying around the transaction uh, piece that they've recently come out with has a little more documentation, or well, you're still there are there are articles that have been written about it. There are two two articles specifically that that tell you, uh, at least as a reader as opposed to an implementer, <laughs> what Hive Acid stuff is. About. Fair enough. Yeah, that's typically how Hive gets documented is open sourcing it to bloggers. <laughs> So I'll send you those to include in the notes. Um, Great. One important aspect of uh, Hive asset operations, and in particular delete, is suppose you delete uh, a thousand records in in two hundred different transactions. Since the delete files, the delete delta files are going to be written on the on the. Uh, well, that, that will result in a whole bunch of delete delta files. And you'd say, well, gee whiz, if I have to read all those delete delta files in order to actually do a query against the data, the mm -hmm. current state of the data, isn't that really slow? And the answer is it would be, except that Hive Acid does uh, background merging of delete and insert files to create larger and larger read chunks. Because you can all, if you know that uh, that the transaction is committed, then you can always combine uh, files that are in the past with respect to that 
with respect to that transaction. Yeah, I noticed that when reading about Hive transactions, well, it also does compacting and all sorts of stuff yeah. to... Yeah. yeah, they call it compaction, the combining process called... Yeah. called so is this actually a hive binary that's responsible for this, or is this the Metastore's responsibility? Who some code that we link into Presto. Okay. Okay, fair enough. So one other thing I wanted to say about this is the plumbing needed to support the orc acid format and transactional operations against the right, you know, the, the most modern of the of the hive metastores. Uh, will get recycled in a number of different places. Uh, in, in the next week, I'll be submitting a PR that's a, that adds support for SQL update to both the Presto engine and to the Hive connector. Nice. Uh, oh, wow. And, and uh, it, it, uses all these same, it uses all these same mechanisms. And then after that, and we don't know how long it'll take to deliver, uh, I'll be working on uh, SQL merge in the in the Presto engine and the Hive implementation of. of, of so, so when you're saying um, this merge and update functionality goes into the Presto engine, does that potentially then mean that any connector that wants to implement uh, support for that has an SPI endpoint to implement, and then can so individual contributors for the different connectors can go ahead and add update and merge functionality to their connectors? That's exactly right. And the two biggest tasks for me, I'm, I'm writing tests like crazy, as you might imagine. <laughs> but I'm also gonna write uh, a document in the developer guide section of Presto documentation that documents in a lot of detail how delete is supposed to work with respect to the connector, which was not documented anywhere like that at least, and how update and how update works. Updates, of course, much, much more complicated, but yeah. Uh, but, awesome. You know. So, so ultimately, once this is in, we can like from the community put out a call to, for people to start implementing, like reading a document and then start implementing a, a delete and update and stuff functionality in the connectors, right? Exactly. That that's my intent. Cool. You know, I'm, I, I would love to do it. You mentioned I worked on Iceberg earlier. I'd love to do it for Iceberg. Iceberg is a great format and it supports ORC. So it, the path is very straightforward to, uh, to support these operations in Iceberg, although I don't know that there's a great deal of demand right now. Yeah, but it definitely is there. Awesome. One thing I wanted to kind of point out, so there seems to be a lot of confusion when it comes to merging these topics of transactions and this big data stuff. Uh, and so this morning, literally this morning, I saw this post uh, that shows Presto. Uh, it, it talks about data engineering, open source stacks, and they talk about just kind of different areas of for different uh, things like Spark and Airflow, blah, 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 blah. And then show under data warehousing, they, they list Presto, which it's fine. That's it's kind of a data warehousing tool in some regards. But then they some somebody who made this, it wasn't the po original poster. I think he pulled this from somebody else's blog, uh, but they, they called it OLTP. Uh, and so, uh, Two questions on that. One, one thing is obviously like, you know, I, I corrected this because Presto, for the record, anybody who's listening on this at any point, Presto is not OLTP. It does not do full on transactioning. But uh, with this, you know, we, we have this kind of, you know, per transactional, uh, like heading in a transactional direction. Is it ever going to be a point where we can say that the Hive connector is OLTP level, like, like ready or, or, or uh, it's, it's an OLTP system in its own right since we are supporting all of this or is that just never going to be the case in your opinion, David? You know, I don't know. I, I suspect that, I mean, I don't know that it wouldn't work for the classic, you know, TPCH right now. Maybe it wouldn't. I, I don't know. Hmm. I, I haven't tried it. Yeah, sorry to be so unhelpful. No, that's fine because it's it's a pretty big <laughs> question to ask, uh, especially live. But it's it's and it has a lot of implications. But I'm just curious. So one thing is like currently, as of today, like Presto's main goal is not to do OLTP. It's it's to do online analytics processing, and so w with that, like you're not 
uh, trying to, it, it drops a lot of these like original requirements that we used to have, but it's not to say that we're not still going to try to, to solve them. And so I, I want it to be clear, like it's not OLTP. And, and even if it's connecting to uh, MySQL, which is an OLTP database, you know, it's, uh, it supports OLTP. Um, and it's, it's, uh, it's not in its own right, an OLTP system. So, um, so I just, I saw that this morning. I was like, wow, this came up like right as we were about ready to, to hop into kind of like asset transactions. So I felt like it was kind of fitting within the, the theme that we were talking today. You're absolutely right. The, 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 the design center of Presto is super fast stream, uh, streaming to support queries. To uh, read. Top, yeah. top, and, and so there's modification stuff. It's, it's important, but it's not the design center. Yep. So cool. Wanted to bring bring that up because I almost forgot to to, to mention that. Uh, so not everything you read online is true. <laughs> Surprise! <laughs> Surprise! <laughs> uh, great. Uh, so I didn't mean to, to. Did you have anything else, David? You wanted to kind of go over before we hop into the example. The only thing that I really wanted to say is that the, up here in your in the PR, it lists the test matrix. It's a really large test matrix because. Uh, because they're particularly for insert, there are lots of kinds of inserts with original files and not original files and, and, and so on. So a whole bunch of the effort went into trying to adequately cover the test matrix. And of course, this is something you never do it as well as you want to, but, uh, but that's where a lot of the effort went. So that's the last thing I wanted to say. Great, great. Uh, oh, and I actually, I brought this tab up because I, wa I wanted to ask you the question I asked you offline, uh, but uh, does does this have any like correlation with the SQL like running a transaction or commit or anything like that? Or can we, can we do these kind of? There is a correlation, but at this point, uh, at least for the Hive Acid uh, system, uh, transact the scope of a transaction is a single operation, a single okay. update, a insert, a single delete. So as far insert. as I know, Hive itself doesn't support that yet either. Like the concept of start a concept, like begin, roll back, and all kind of stuff. Yeah. Hive itself doesn't support that. So this is yet again one of the big differences between OL true OLTP and like what we're what we're able to to start supporting now in Presto and and what Hive is supporting now. Well, object storage ultimately is just a bit different. Like distributed object storage is just not the same as just the random RDBMS database. Right, right. right. So, okay. With that, uh, let's go to a quick example. So I already have my MinIO set up. Uh, this is going to be fairly straightforward. I, I actually have, uh, so uh, this is dBeaver. We're going to, uh, for those on the podcast, uh, I'm going to be basically running an example. Uh, first, we're going to uh, create a schema uh, over a, um, a MinIO bucket called ACID. So that acid uh, MinIO bucket already exists and it's running on my local machine. So we'll create the schema. Let's go ahead and do that. Create schema worked. So if we show schemas in MinIO now, we should be able to see, boom, uh, acid showed up. So uh, and this is just the arbitrary name. You call it whatever you're gonna call it uh, within your own company. And then we're just gonna create a table. Uh, the big deal about this table is it's, A, it's under our original schema we just created. So MinIO is the catalog, ACID is the schema, and then we're gonna make a table called test. Uh, so it's create table minio.acid.test. Uh, we're gonna have two simple fields that are integers, A and B. And then we're gonna uh, make sure the format is ORC. Uh, by default, it's gonna, you know, Pre Pre Presto uses ORC, uh, but you know, just for clarity, we're gonna use uh, format ORC here. Um, and then we, the big key here is that we're making this table uh, with the uh, property statement transactional equals true. We are creating this as a transactional uh, acid table. So let's go ahead and run that. And now let's show the tables. And sure enough, we have test created. Um, so if we look back here, uh, we should now see there's a test folder that shows up underneath the acid bucket in MinIO. So, but uh, there's no data or anything written there yet because we haven't written any data yet. So, so, so that transactional is true. Where does that end up? Like, is that basically something that's stored as a metadata in the Hive Metastore? Metastore, yep. Okay. 
I believe, I mean, unless I'm wrong, right there, David, I, I just totally assumed. It's a table property and it ends up in the Meta store, yes. Okay, cool. Yeah, I feel like it was going to be in the same spot that we would put like the orc format and, and in any other kind of default table format that will go in there. We'll be in the same location. Okay, and then uh, we'll run insert into, uh, well, basically you're going to insert uh, two rows. One is 10-10, the other one's 20-20. Um, actually, uh, this would have been October 10th uh, of this year, <laughs> now that I'm looking at it. Uh, <laughs> all right, so we inserted those. Let's, uh, let's look at those uh, first and make sure those return correctly. So if we select all from minio.asset.test, we get one row of 1010, the second row of 2020. So now let's look inside here, and sure enough, we see some new folder. Uh, for those of you who are, that are used to kind of what your maybe a, what a traditional uh, table would look like underneath here, it's usually just like an orc file. But instead, we have like a new folder called Delta, uh, and it has some underscores and then zero 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 one zero 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 one zero zero zero. David, what's what's going on here with this this file? The zero, 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 ones are the transaction ID, and it, it specifies it twice uh, the, the, because it wants to allow for a range when it does compaction, a range ah. of transaction IDs to be stored in the data file. Okay. And the data file is, is an ORC formatted file. It, it has the, uh, there's, there's this ORC acid version, which, is, which has nothing in it. It's there are one byte in it, and it's just saying, uh, this is for sure an orc acid bucket. Hmm. And then there's a bucket if you look into inside the bucket. Mm -hmm. This one's just the, uh, the, the actual orc file. The orc okay. file itself is bucketed. And that, that's the orc file that yeah. uh, contains the data and the metadata for the insert. Yeah. I, if we, there, we, I think you were thinking if we would have made a partitioned table, this would have that's been a, a folder. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All the hairiness. There's partitions, then there's buckets, then there's transactions. It's like the 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 level of of uh, complexity here for Hive. So so for for our listeners uh, that don't see this, there's a so underneath the test uh, folder, which is where the the level for the table is. There's a delta file, which is a file folder underneath that. That's that's representing the transaction. And then underneath that, there's an orc file. If you were to have a partition, there'd be yet another layer of of folders that, to. to to represent the hive partition so it's like we were just talking about how it gets kind of sticky so um so is this zero 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 bucket underscore zero 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 file that's the orc file with our data but what does that zero 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 mean the zero 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 is a statement id the orc format allows you to have multiple bucket files okay. in the same uh delta directory okay with different statement ids and it treats them it, you know, when you query, it reads them all, basically. And if you bucket it by a particular field? Oh. We don't actually use that feature. We, we read it correctly, but we don't create uh, oh. at least delta files with statement IDs. We will create um, updates with, that use statement IDs. Okay, okay. And if it is... Uh... If we do at some point, and this would be on a hive table, not maybe not presto yet, uh, but on a hive table, if you're uh, bucketing by a particular field, then it would just basically spit that out into different uh, orc files. Is that the idea? Yes. Yeah. Basically. Okay. Got it. And we we haven't said it explicitly, but we should say it explicitly. Okay. If you create a transactional file, a transactional table in Hive, and insert and delete in Hive. Presto can read it. If Presto creates a transactional table and you insert and delete with Presto, then Hive can read it. There's there's complete data compatibility between them, and we've uh, we've ensured that partly by writing the product test that way, but also by we have a product test that runs Spark SQL against the uh, against the insert and delete data and verifies that you know, everybody agrees that the format is correct. So to your point, this is, I actually have a connection up to the, the same Hive uh, instance that is pulling that. Let's just verify that. So we got acid here, and then let's see if we can pull that out. Uh, uh, maybe I put something, oh, this is because uh, we don't have catalog. We are talking to Hive, so it should be the database acid and test. So 
That was my fault that uh, we got an error the first time. And now we should be seeing. Well, this is just Hive being Hive, isn't it? 1010 and 2020. <laughs> okay. So, uh, um, yeah, it took, it took, a, <laughs> took a minute for it to come back. But Hive, as you said, Hive was able to read uh, when the, the uh, data uh, that was coming back from, uh, coming back from uh, the, same, the same table that we just created. So now let's test the delete. We're going to go say delete from minio.acid.test where A equals 10. Um, so let's, and so that's only going to leave one of our, um, one of our files there. So let's read that back out. We just deleted that one. So we should see 2020 only. Let's also verify that from Hive <laughs> for fun. Live testing <laughs> on the show. I'm sorry. I don't mean to make you sweat, David. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it wasn't sweating. <laughs> no, he was like, I got this. <laughs> Whoa, so now we have a new um, folder called delete underscore delta, and then there's this un 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 2, 0, 0, 0, 0, 2. So the two is the, is the new transaction, right? We, yep. we did a new transaction to run the delete, and its transaction ID was two. Okay. Now, is this also showing data here? Is this the updated data that that's only has the 2020? It is the data that's that says when reading this you should ignore 1010. Okay, got it. Delta, right? It's 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 telling you what to ignore when re, you know when querying basically. Very cool. Okay. Well, I think uh that is uh we've we've successfully tested your <laughs> your PR. <laughs> <laughs> I think we we can say it's good. Um awesome. Uh well, thank you so much for joining David. Did you have anything else you wanted to talk about before we headed on to the question of the week? No, this is all great fun. Yeah, for sure. All right. Excellent work. Looks great. Yeah, very good work. Uh, so if you wanted to hop off, uh, feel free if, if you want to stick around. And uh, Manfred, I haven't checked lately, but do we have any questions? Nope. Oh, hang on. Actually, there's something. Um, Israel is just asking if we're going to walk through the code of the PR. Um, and I'd have to say, no, we're not. <laughs> yeah. Because that's like very deep in the bowels. It's a bit too complicated. But of course, um, it's brilliantly structured, so anybody can read it, right? Yeah, of course. So the goal, just I would say, like your future PRs, will be brilliantly structured. <laughs> yeah. So the goal of this Israel is, is that we're we're trying to bring the awareness about what it's doing and kind of understand, like you know, from a functional perspective, uh, how, how what's actually being accomplished. Uh, we'll leave it to you, and and at some point, I, I, if like the demand is high enough for us to do kind of a code safari, I think that's definitely something that we can do look into doing at some point, but we were trying to keep this uh, community broadcast to a broader audience, maybe some that are new to Presto and some that are uh, as well trying to kind of uh, learn just enough from the kind of upper levels of what's going on in the community. Uh, and so we, we don't necessarily want to always just dive deep into the code. Uh, I definitely think if, you know, there may be a time where we, we can do some of these uh, uh, code safaris, as I would call them. And uh, maybe, maybe a good opportunity would be when... Uh... David has written the SPI endpoint documentation and changes, and then we do a code walkthrough of what yeah. would be done if you're so willing that others to do that. potentially can, <laughs> can implement that. Um, there's also a good question that came up from RDSR13, and that um, he's asking if, if Presto wrote it, would Spark be able to read it? Yes, of course. It, 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 we test That's what it. I thought, because it just uses the native hype stuff as well, right? Yeah. Cool. And let's just put a... Very nice. You know, there are various constraints about versions, right? You have to have a 3.0.1.2 or later version. As usual, right? Like you have to have Presto 345. Old stuff is old stuff. Who knows, right? <laughs> exactly. Okay. So, cool. Um, so with the questions, uh, I don't think there are any more as far as I... As far as I know, uh, Manfred, do you want to just do one quick look over on the uh, pres on the Presto? Uh, uh, yeah. On in the Slack? meantime, you should go and talk about Java because yep. I'm going to do that because flying, we're man. running out of time. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Okay, cool. So let me. Uh, actually, I have nothing to show. I'm going to go straight into back to the interview scene and let me pull up the question of the week. 
So the question of the week uh, that we've got, we got it from a couple people that were kind of asking, like, what's the point of the shift to Java 11? I feel like that answer is pretty obvious now, but I, I, I'm not going to, I don't want to skip it totally. And there's a couple nuances to how some of the questions were asked. So the basic question is, why is Java 11 needed in newer versions of Presto? And how do I get the older version, of, uh, an older version of Presto um, that, that uses, that allows me to use Java 8? Uh, and if uh, Java 11 isn't available to use like in my environment uh, so so the first answer to that question is to like why we're doing the move to Java 11 um, is that there is uh, the, the basically the support for Java 8 uh, is now and, and by, by this point you know I think when the original questions were asked this wasn't the case but uh, now the the answer is that you know there's no more continuing support unless I think you uh, what is it if you're with Oracle or something like if you if pay you have some paying contract with yeah. like some JVM provider like Oracle obviously has support Red Hat has yeah. support for theirs I think if you want a smaller vendor you can talk to Azul yeah. with their Zulu version but the publicly available releases do not include security backports and whatever else for eight anymore correct so, so the supported LTS is currently eleven yep. The next LTS will be 17. Yeah. So so that is why we are on Java 11. There are also a couple, you know, performance boosts that we get just by the default of, you know, the the uh, the progression of, of Java in general. You know, there are bugs that are constantly getting fixed. There are optimizations in, in the garbage compressor, uh, garbage collector, I mean, <laughs> compressor. I'm thinking of <laughs> the Hive stuff, uh, the garbage collection. And so uh, so that's, that's another reason why it's just like performance improvements. It was just time. And so I think all in all, like if you can, just really push to try to get to Java 11. And a point that you made, uh, Manfred, at one point was like, you don't have to have the client be on Java 11. The client can still run on Java 8. It's just right, yeah. the, the only requirement is that your server, whatever, wherever you're hosting your server, that that runs on 11. So, um, so that's a really important point. I think sometimes people think that like if I'm on, you know, version of Java it has to be the same for client and server, and that's just not the case. So yeah, so, so that, that and that applies to the CLI, the Presto CLI, as well as the JDBC driver. So if you have some sort of Java application that is still also using Java 8 to use the JDBC driver to connect. Then you're still fine with that as well. So yep. um, you should be pretty good. The other aspect I think that you need to consider is Presto should run on its own server anyway. So the whole idea of having to share JVM with some other software running, mm -hmm. that's not a, a proper deployment of Presto anyway. Yep. Uh, so it shouldn't really matter too much. And then uh, specifically also for teams that run Presto on uh, Kubernetes clusters or in some other Docker fashion, uh, 11 just runs way better on, on Docker than 8. Correct. Yeah, and so, so yeah, to your point, you know, if you're, if you're standing up Presto at all, just use 11. <laughs> it's like, you're, and you shouldn't be sharing. The reason why we're saying you shouldn't be sharing is that maybe something that depends on Java 8, some ser other service, if you're trying to put those on the same servers, then that's already kind of setting yourself up for failure in terms of like Presto uh, memory needs and, and all of these other resource needs that are gonna be on, on those servers. So so uh, good question, uh, definitely something. Oh, and, and the last part of the question was, you know, if, I, if for some reason you really need to stick on Java 8 for, for whatever reason, maybe your, I don't know, ops team doesn't support Java 11 or moving up for now, uh, then, 328 was the last uh, server server that supports Java 8, so you would have to go back to that prior version, and you can download that from from the Maven repo. You can uh, also go on to the Presto SQL documentation and download it there. Uh, there's definitely ways for you to deploy that. Uh, I don't want to hold you up, but I just you're not going to get as like the most updated features. You're you're already going to be running slow because you're on an older version of Java, so it's just not going to be showcasing Presto the way it should be and and where it is, you know, today on the latest breaking stuff. If you're especially if you're trying to convince your boss that they should, you know, we should bring in Presto and replace certain Spark ETL tasks or something like that. So, okay. One last note I want to add for a call out to the community. 
Um, for those of you that are like experimenting, um, we very much encourage you to try Presto with newer JVM versions. Like the JVM is now at release number 15 mm -hmm. and we would love to know that it works on newer versions. We honestly don't run excessive testing on anything else than the Azul Zulu 11 version. But if you have any insights or feel uh, like you want to play around with like trying Presto on Java 11, uh, 15 or whatever the latest is, um, please do so and let us know if you find anything. Because mm -hmm. we want to obviously make sure that we are future compatible. And at some stage, we will obviously upgrade to 17, although that might be a while away. Mm. But, you know, enabling running on newer versions, maybe there's some benefits to be had. So for sure, let us know. Cool. All right. Well, uh, if you have any questions to submit, uh, you can either go to the PrestoSQL.io forward slash Slack. Uh, that's going to be also in the show notes. Um, and then you can uh, ch uh, hit us up on the Presto-Community-Broadcast channel to submit either like a PR of the week or a question of the week. Uh, we'd like to hear back from you on that. Uh, otherwise, you can uh, direct message uh, myself or uh, or Manfred. Um, and then uh, music for the show uh, is from the Mega Man Ga 6 gameplay album by Christoph Slawikowski. Uh, and if you want to find uh, myself or uh, Manfred, uh, you can find us at uh, Manfred at Simple Agility. Uh, and then my handle is at Bits on Data Dev. Uh, David, did you have a Twitter that anybody can reach you at? He, he, everyone can chase us down on Slack as well, and David is there too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I couldn't hear you there, David. I think you might be on mute. Slack's a better choice for me. I don't have a Twitter account. You don't have the Twitters. Okay, sounds good. I mean, better, good on you. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> You're living a healthier life because of it. All right. Um, well, thank you all, and uh, until next time, uh, for Fast Data at Resto, Presto is the besto. See y'all.